Lord, thanks for this opportunity just to uh, be together like this, to hear some, some music and some songs sung that are talking about the fact that you are above all, that Jesus, the one name that holds weight above them all, this powerful, uh, wonderful, beautiful, saving name of Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity to be reminded afresh of this truth, uh, but also of your incredible love for us that continues to draw us to yourself, that continues to lead us towards uh, a life of reflecting you to the world around us, a life of humility and grace and service and, and love and compassion and kindness. In the same way that you've shown these things to us, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit you'd empower and equip us to demonstrate these things to the world around us, uh, maybe even or especially when it's not deserved, because that's what you did for us. Yeah, we commit ourselves to this kind of living. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks very much, guys. Feel free to take a seat. Thank you, uh, Musos. That was, it was so great to have those songs. So fitting. Yeah, give them some thanks and appreciation. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Luke. I'm one of the staff team here, and it's great to be able to uh, get together on another rainy day, hey? We've had a few of them. It has been wild, hasn't it? Um, just a quick reminder, if you are in the Dig Deeper age group, so that's years 9, 10, 11, you guys get to head out now. Isaac, are they following you up there, mate? Yep. Okay, so you can uh, follow Isaac up the back. You guys are going to go and have a blast uh, up there, so enjoy that time out. Uh, also, just a welcome to those of you joining us in our online congregation. I love saying it like that, our online congregation. I don't know if you're aware of that, but we, we have one, a very real one, actually, that week in, week out, and they meet from all over the place. I've, I've heard that there's some very regulars um, that tune in from Canberra. So if you're with us this morning, I won't say who it is. Uh, good to have you part of our online congregation, but uh, they reach far and wide. So... Um, Special welcome to them, but also if you're visiting as well today, particularly good on you for, for being here. I know that must be tough rocking up to new places. Uh, I've tried that a couple of times in this last week, just seen my, my parent role, going with my preschooler to different you know, orientation things for schooling or a kid's birthday party where I know no one, and it can be tough, can't it, walking into places like that. So if that's you today, my hat is off to you. Not that I have a hat on, but um, you know what I mean. Well, just to give a bit of a recap uh, over this past month, we've been working through uh, really an untitled series, but I've kind of titled it The Divine Dress Code, if you've been around at all. Uh, this is what we've been looking at, and uh, in these weeks we've you know, looked at this language that is used quite regularly to talk about clothing ourselves with certain things as followers of Christ, um, and that's why I've labelled it The Divine Dress Code, putting on God's very nature you know, him clothing us in some way with his divinity, even though uh, we're human. And we've been looking over these different weeks at certain aspects of that. Uh, if you can go to the next slide. Thanks, Carly. Thank you, Carly, for being a part of that production team up there. So good to have some uh, new people helping out as well. Uh, so in the past few weeks, we've uh, looked at uh, these different passages. Romans 13 talked about clothing uh, ourselves in Christ, putting on Christ. And then the last two weeks, Isaac has taken us through these passages, Colossians 3 and then Ephesians 4 last week, put on love and put on your new nature. And today we're wrapping up this short series uh, and really uh, 
that slide there is important because that's sort of the practical um, ways that we've been talking about this putting on of the things that God wants us to um, demonstrate in our lives, the different things that he wants us to be known for. And then today, really, when we you know, look at what we're going to be putting on today, it's about how we keep doing this, really. How do, we, how do we stand firm in demonstrating this kind of life, in reflecting this kind of uh, life to the world? So I'm looking forward to what it is that God might want to um, say to each one of us today. You know, I know we're all at different stages and points in our journey, different understandings of faith and uh, maybe even um, openness to matters of faith. But the good thing is, as we just saying about it, we have a very real, ever-present and personal God. And God knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you need to hear today. Uh, can I encourage you to open your heart, try and open your ears to sense what it is God wants to lay on your heart in this. Uh, if you didn't get to hear it um, in the last couple of weeks, particularly last week, Isaac did a great job of really challenging us in very practical ways of living out this kind of faith and this life that God has called us to. So you can check that out on our um, New Vine podcast or through our YouTube channel. Um, but these were very practical concepts that uh, help us to consider how we should live or the, what kind of life we should be known for, uh, whilst importantly recognising that it is only, and this is the really important part, that it's only through Jesus and his power, his equipping, uh, his life in us and through us that enables us to live this kind of way. Uh, it's a futile experience. It's a really frustrating kind of religion, I'll call it religion, when you just try and live this out in your own strength, when you see a set of guidelines and principles that you have to you know, live up to and follow. Uh, whenever we approach it with that mindset, uh, we, will, we will get to points where we feel incredibly frustrated. But we need to make sure that we remember that it's only through the life of Christ working in us and through us that we can actually live this out well. Now... As we come to wrapping up this series, we're going to be looking at a passage that follows on from uh, where Isaac finished last week, where he talked from Ephesians 4 and even a bit of Ephesians chapter 5. And today we're in Ephesians chapter 6, um, which some of you will know, uh, have read this many times probably before, called Putting on the Full Armour of God, where Paul really is giving us just this reality check, this reminder that we are actually in ba- engaged in a spiritual battle and um, I'm just going to confess I in no way uh, want to portray any kind of idea that I know at all what I'm talking about when it comes to spiritual warfare or understanding the spirit realm and I actually I would say that if anyone does profess to be the authority um, question them because there's a lot that we really don't know and there is, there's so much ambiguity even in uh, research and study around some of this stuff. But uh, I want us all to approach some of this at least with a bit of humility, uh, with an openness, as I said before, to what God might want to say to us and lead us into. Uh, let me pray and then we're going to read through uh, this passage together. Well, Father, thank you again for opportunities like this to, to come, to meet, to be inspired and encouraged to, to strengthen each other uh, in our faith journey. Uh, but Lord, thank you for the, the gift that we have of being able to read uh, these messages in your word. 
that have such potential to shape our lives, to equip us and enable us and teach us about you and about the kind of life that you want us to live. Uh, make it come alive to us today, we ask in your name. Amen. Okay, so he says here, uh, a final word, and we'll go to the next slide, thanks Carly. A final word. So this is Paul wrapping up his letter to the church in Ephesus. And this is the way he you know, concludes all the stuff that he's talked about. A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Just making sure you've got exactly the same that I have, which it is. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'll just flick on to the next slide. Thanks, Carly. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Okay, can you give me a show of hands? Who's read that before or heard that before, that passage? Great. Who feels like they know exactly what it's talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Anyway, let me just quickly give a, a little bit of a snapshot here and uh, talk about this topic for a moment of spiritual warfare and just make some, um, or sorry, not make some assumptions. And particularly if you, as I said before, if you're visiting or you're new here and maybe you're still exploring matters of faith, um, just, just to let you know, some of this stuff is going to sound weird and whacked out. Depending on you know, where you're at, depending on what your upbringing's been like, maybe uh, what part of the world you've come from or what cultures you've been exposed to, you might either have a, a, an acute awareness of spirituality and the spirit realm, but also you might be like, what? There's a spirit realm? Like an unseen thing going on? Like, really? And it just seems completely foreign to you. And even sitting here today, there's going to be those two extremes. Okay, so I just want us to recognise that for some of us, that's, this is just going to seem quite whacked out in some ways. Now, as I said, some cultures, and I've seen this, um, it's just second nature. It's nearly like it's real for them, the reality of the spirit world. Uh, I... I have been to different places, uh, particularly a time that I spent in, in Enjoy, are they here today? Um, oh, and thanks again for just blowing open my, my worldview by taking me on a trip to the Philippines all those years ago. Um, but I got to spend a lot of time there sitting and shutting up and listening to the stories of other people because I, I remember Ian, you telling me, uh, if you get the chance, you know, just spend some time with these pastors and just listen to their stories. And I remember one night, uh, you know, we'd, it was just our, our driver of a car. You know, it turned out, turns out this guy is just like 
oh my goodness, a spiritual giant that uh, dealt with demonic oppression all the time. You know, just like nearly talking to people and uh, I, I sat in the front with him so I could listen and I got back there, I think everyone had disappeared and about two hours later I finally picked my mouth up off the floor uh, just hearing stories of just how everyday, matter of fact, it was for them to deal with spiritual forces. And I got to see things over there, even in, you know, in praying, I got to see them you know, praying for even little children who were really sick and then in the midst of a prayer getting, getting a sense from God that there was a spiritual oppression that it caused some sort of harm to a child. And then their prayers sort of change tact and they start dealing with um, demonic oppression. And I, I saw things with my own eyes, with a baby holding in my own hands, like trembling and shaking and foaming at the mouth and then complete peace and healing coming. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. This is, this is new for me. To see stuff like this is, is blowing my worldview open and my understanding of things. And, um, you know, there's been different times in my life where I've seen stuff that has helped me to at least be aware of the reality of the spirit realm. Now, for you, um, I don't know what that is for you. I don't know whether you're just like, no, you must have been seeing things. There is no way that's uh, a reality. Uh, and that's okay if you're at that place. It's okay... Um, to recognise that we're all at different points in our journey. And really, we need to understand that this culture we're living in is incredibly um, shut off to that reality. You know, we try and rationalise everything. And we have a way to rationalise everything. And so I just say all that to to recognise where we're coming from. Now, it's important to know that for the original hearers of this letter that Paul wrote, it wasn't weird for them at all. You know, for them, they, they totally got it. You know, they, they understood that weird stuff happened. There was a highly spiritualised culture and society. They, they worshipped different gods. There was different practices. Uh, let me just, uh, I'll finally I'll give you a little snippet. Um, because if you want to read about Paul's time when he was in Ephesus, you can go back and uh, look at the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 19. It talks about some of the things that went on there. And it's wild. Like, you know, Paul was performing crazy miracles, even to the point that, like, bits of cloth or handkerchiefs that had touched Paul, uh, they'd be taken to other people who were sick, and when they touch the handkerchief, they get healed. It's like, what is going on there? We don't normally see that today, do we? Uh, but Paul had to deal with lots of demonic oppression as well. And get this, there was even a part where there were these seven sons of a Jewish priest, and they tried their hand at exorcisms. And they thought, we've seen Paul at work. We know what we can do. We'll, we'll use this name of Jesus. And so they'd go up to some people who were demon oppressed and they'd be like, uh, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, uh, come out of that guy. And it says this is one time, uh, this, this demon responded out of a person and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who the heck are you? And overpowered these seven sons, gave them the flogging of their lives and they ran out bloodied and naked. Uh, I think recognising, whoa, I think we need to get a handle on what we're dealing with here, recognising that um, there are spiritual forces at play, there's a hierarchy. uh, And that just gives you some sort of window, some sort of context in the reality that for the church in Ephesus, this this was normal for them. So for Paul to talk in this kind of language, which wasn't weird like it might be for some of us today. Okay, so... As I said, some people, and I've even um, heard stuff recently that even you know, long-term Bible scholars uh, in Western culture will say even things like this. They have a rough time reconciling the spiritual warfare reality that is presented in the Bible with this Western rational worldview that so many of us possess. 
The default is to justify or explain everything that has happened, having a tendency to give too little attention and recognition to the evil forces in the spirit realm. Perhaps that describes some of us today. The problem is that for Jesus, for the Apostle Paul, for other biblical authors, they all seem to have uh, viewed the world very differently. They viewed a world that clearly included unseen spiritual forces. It was a natural part of their practice and language. The other side of this reality can also be a problem, though, where people can often uh, over-spiritualise things. Have you seen this at play? Where it's like any little thing that goes wrong. You know, you might kick your toe and it's like, oh, the devil's out to get me today. Uh, you know, this like um, attributing far too much. Don't laugh, DJ. Have you heard Lou doing that, have you? No, no. no. <laughs> Uh, we attribute far too many things to demonic oppression. And, and at that side, it's also not helpful. I think C.S. Lewis, I think I've got this uh, slide here, he sums it up really well. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equal. That's talking about the demonic um, reality here and the evil forces, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I like the way that that pictures that. You know, you don't want to be at, at either extreme here, but recognise, as Paul's doing here, giving this reminder, this final reminder, there is a real spiritual battle that we are in and I want you to understand it, um, be shaped in some way, by it so that we can live out our Christian faith correctly. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, um, you know, getting prepared to march out fighting against the forces of darkness, uh, I just I want us to watch a short video, a snippet actually, a video from the Bible Project on this book of Ephesians. Because if we just read it, you know, just this Armour of God passage uh, on its own, um, sometimes, again, we, we put it a little bit out of context, but when you see it in light of the whole book, or sorry, the whole letter and what Paul is getting at, you kind of see that, oh, oh, there was some really key things that Paul wanted to make sure we're getting right. Uh, so we're just going to watch this video, hopefully from halfway through so it doesn't take as long. And uh, just to give you a, a little window here, the, the first half, really, of the book of Ephesians, so six chapters, chapters one to three, are really about uh, unpacking and explaining the gospel story. The good news of Jesus okay, and the difference that he has made. The second half is actually about unpacking or explaining our story, how we should live in light of the good news of the gospel. And it's the second part we're going to watch. Thanks, heaps, guys. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears, and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter 4 with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one. And one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says unity is not the same thing as uniformity. 
he goes on to explore how Jesus' new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people, but they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up the church. And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple. And the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity, like a set of old clothes, and to put on their new humanity, in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. And he spells out what that influence looks like in four different ways. The first two have to do with singing, singing together, but also singing alone. And this is really interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. The third sign of the spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. And the fourth is that the Spirit will compel Jesus' followers to put themselves underneath others and to elevate others as more important than themselves. And Paul actually expands on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. So you have a wife who follows Jesus. She is called to respect and to allow her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility to lay down his selfish agenda and to prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. And Paul says it's this kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. The husband's actions mimic Jesus and his love and his self-sacrifice. The wife's actions mimic the church, which allows Jesus to love her and to make her new. Paul then applies the same idea to children and parents as well as slaves and masters. Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. These are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus' people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus's body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. Okay, great. Thanks so much, guys, for playing that. Gives a good picture, doesn't it? Helping you to see the, the flow of what's happening in this letter, but also this, um, this focus towards unity. And I love how, you know, they said unity does not mean uniformity. Aren't we all thankful for that? Um, we covered that in the first week, didn't we, where we were looking at different Christian clothing. We don't all have to look the same and think the same, um, but we can 
acknowledge our differences but still find commonality. And DJ, thanks so much for what you shared before and the way you led us uh, talking about things like uh, elections and how much this has the potential to rob us of unity. It can, it can drive a wedge, but as followers of Jesus, uh, we shouldn't let these things happen. We have to make unity a priority uh, and, and let other things come in under that and not pull apart uh, what God is wanting to, to form together. And as we see, you know, this putting on the armour of God, I think a key part of this is making sure we are standing firm against the enemy's endeavours to disunify the church, okay, to bring division. It's going to be one of the, the key things that the enemy wants to do that we're going to talk about a little bit soon. So he talks about uh, Tim Mackey in this video, that when we read in light of the entire letter, the reason Paul tells the church to armour up, take this stand, is to ensure that the church remains one and in this loving unity in the midst of an enemy who is striving to cause division. Now, I want to quickly, uh, and I'm not going to take too long, uh, gee, I say that, and I've still got a few notes in front of me, but I don't want to take too much longer with this today. But I want to quickly suggest a few simple lessons that we could take away from this passage and the first one, if we chuck up the next slide, thanks, is just to simply acknowledge that there is an enemy. Okay, very simple thing that Paul wants the readers to be reminded of. Don't forget there is a real enemy. As we've already talked about, despite our Western materialistic, um, rationalistic culture that likes to explain everything, we can't let ourselves forget that there is a real enemy enemy and maybe for some of us today that's all we needed to hear is just to be reminded of this fact because maybe we've been charging through doing our own thing living in our own way not even aware of the spiritual reality all around us so we acknowledge that there is an enemy now the second thing simple lesson that i want us to take away from this is to understand who the enemy is now Thankfully, Paul makes really um, clear in clarifying who the enemy is not first. Okay, this is a huge part of this. Paul started by saying, okay, now our battle, it's, it's not against flesh and blood. Uh, maybe for some of us, we need to be reminded of that today. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to sometimes go, oh man, you are the enemy. And we're talking about a person and we attribute uh, the devil to them or whatever, and we think we're fighting against uh, them specifically in flesh and blood sense. But Paul wants again to remind us, he wants to teach us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of darkness. It's a spiritual battle, not a physical fight. And what we know from this enemy um, from this passage, sorry, is that the, our enemy is a schema. So in knowing who our enemy is, it's not, it's not flesh and blood, it's a spiritual en enemy. I want us to also just take into these few things. Yeah, I want you to hear these words as I read them out. These are taken just from different verses around describing the kind of things that this spiritual enemy gets up to. Seduction, deception, alienation, intimidation, distraction, accusation, condemnation. It says that he prowls around like a roaring lion 
looking for someone to devour. He waits for an opportune moment to strike. He longs to steal, to kill and destroy. He's a father of lies and he wants to tempt us away from God's plans and purposes. He is cunning. You know, when you hear a list like this, there is no wonder why Paul made sure that we were aware of this reality. An enemy that is equipped with these kind of skills, uh, this kind of cunning scheming, means we need to be aware, we need to be alert, we need to be on guard. So we, first of all, need to acknowledge there is an enemy. We need to understand who the enemy is. And thirdly, we need to know how to withstand the enemy. And this is where they talk about the armour. Paul telling us to put on this full armour of God to ensure that we can remain standing strong despite every attempt of the enemy. Now, uh, as I said before, you know, me not being an expert in this field, um, sorry, I'm just ticking that, I uh, confirm that. I'm definitely not an expert. But in some of the, the different things you read about this, even uh, in interpreting this armour of God passage, there are some people who would say that it's purely like a defensive thing. There are other people who would say, no, no, when you're arm, putting all the armour, you're going out for battle to take the enemy's ground. Uh, but even depending on where you stand, depending on how you read it, uh, there, there's actually merit in embracing both ideas at times, particularly even if you think as an example of, of putting on the helmet of salvation. Sometimes we want to stand our ground and remember the hope of salvation, that we are firm and secure in God. It's this sort of defensive mindset where we're just standing firm in who we are in Christ and the fact that we belong to him. But also we want to know that we have the hope of salvation and we want to share it with those around us. So you can see how it can go both ways and I think it's helpful to even think of it in both aspects. So let me quickly go through, uh, just for our benefit, these um, different aspects of the armour of God. Now to do this, I actually thought we would... Um, have a little go at our dress-ups for next week, okay? So I need, I need a volunteer, and I thought this is going to be really rough, just putting someone on the spot. But thankfully, I've actually got a blood brother in the building. So Tim, I was just wondering whether you could come and help me. And the good thing is, he's a, he's a recently elected um, new lead team member. So uh, we can, I don't know, show you off in all this uh, glory, mate. Okay, so I've... I've just got a few little things here just as I talk through this, just to give some, uh, some things. <laughs> He's an older brother and I have to take every opportunity I can to get one back on him. doesn't happen very often. Okay, so I'm going to give you this one first. So this is the tool belt of truth, mate. If you could just chuck that on. So as I, as I talk through just a couple of these concepts, it just gives you a... Um, a visual image. Now in this, sorry, and not to make light of this, this is just a way for your comic relief, but also um, for my enjoyment. <laughs> oh, you can put one glove on. Yep. You don't have to. Sorry, I didn't check what was in the pockets. Uh, so again, if you think about this sort of this two-sided nature to this, this belt of truth, I want you to realise that, that the importance of that at times is we just want to be grounded in the truth of who Jesus is. Let that be a guiding principle in our life. Don't get turned and swayed by uh, different ideas, but be grounded in the truth. But also as living this out, we want to be trustworthy people. 
people of integrity. Uh, so as you take your stand, remember to be firm and secure in the truth. Now we also have, uh, it's called the breastplate in some translations of righteousness, uh, or the body armour of righteousness. Now I do not have a breastplate, uh, but what we have for one of our kids who has some um, sensory challenges, we've got this beautiful weighted vest, so I'm going to get you to put that on mate, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah just, just chuck it over, come on mate, let's get on there, there we go, there we go. Lovely, it's pretty heavy isn't it? Okay, so we're getting there, we're going to get the full armour though, this won't take too long. So the body armour of righteousness, we have right standing with God through Jesus. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? And sometimes when you recognise that the enemy wants to accuse you or get you to doubt certain things, think that you are not righteous, think that you don't deserve God because you don't measure up, remember that you have God's righteousness within you. You've been made right with him. But also as we live this out, we want to live out this right living. We want to live out and be holy in the people that God, uh, the things that God has called us to do, the people he's called us to be. Uh, now, it talks about what I've called shoes of peace, sort of having uh, the readiness of the gospel of peace. Um, mate, you have to slip those ones off. I've got some Ugg boots here for you. You're going to be a pretty picture by the end of this. Is that vest a bit heavy? That's good. Okay, so the shoes of peace, um, knowing that we have God's peace regardless of circumstances. Again, it's something that allows us to stand firm in who we are in God. There are going to be people here this morning uh, that have all kinds of things going on in your world that uh, potentially give the enemy a ground to disrupt your life and rob you of peace. But I want you to know that despite circumstances, despite what goes on, we can have a secure hope and peace in God. Uh, and it talks about this readiness. We, know we want to be ready as well to go with the gospel of peace, uh, always uh, being aware of the opportunities that God puts before us. Uh, next it talks about, and sorry, Probably helpful if you look up your passage because I don't have it up there for you. Uh, the Shield of Faith. So my son is a Captain America fan, so there you go, Captain America. You've got your Shield of Faith. And just simply remembering, we have to continue in this faith, trusting God in all seasons. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get rid of many darts with that, are you? Uh, then we've got the helmet, the, the bike helmet of salvation. Right out, mate. Chuck this on. This is starting to look... Just like I was hoping. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll get a photo in a second. So the helmet of salvation, again, having this sure hope, as I mentioned before, of salvation in Jesus. Something that is so uh, important for us to embrace uh, in our stand against the enemy's schemes. But also, <laughs> so this is really difficult to take seriously now, isn't it? That's <laughs> great. But also to be sharing this message of salvation with those around us. Uh, finally, it talks about the sword of the Spirit. Uh, my son, he wanted to make a sword one day. He nailed this thing together. So there you go. You've got the sword of the Spirit. Uh, if you want as well, uh, sometimes the belts are handy for um, holding your weapon. So look, you could even put it there. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, so here it is. He's got the full armour of God. And I'm just going to quickly snap a photo of you, mate. That's great. 
Uh, do, do you want to stay here? No. no. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Why don't you give Tim a hand? Thanks, mate. Oh, actually, hang on. Tim, I just wanted to give you one opportunity to withstand the fiery darts of the devil. Um, oh, that's great. Because one of my sons, he also just got a bow and arrow recently. So I'm going to have a shot at my brother. Okay. That felt incredibly unrelated, but sometimes it is good to have a laugh, isn't it? Okay, so let me, let me switch gears uh, a lot now, actually, as we come to wrap up. So we've talked about those different you know, things, acknowledging there is an enemy, understanding who the enemy is, uh, knowing how to withstand the enemy. And I encourage you to, to read this passage, really delve into it. I know we don't have time to go right into that today, um, but... You know, think about these different things, our salvation, our righteousness in God, um, the, the readiness with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, uh, the word of God. You know, these things are crucial for us to stand against the enemy. You know, and you even think of that time when Jesus was led into the desert. He was tempted by uh, the enemy. Uh, Jesus, again, he, he used scriptures, didn't he, to stand against the enemy there. Um, not giving in to temptation and showing us a great example of uh, how we can follow in the same footsteps. Uh, This fourth point, though, if we could put this up, thanks, Carly. It says, just always, and this is how Paul wraps it up, always be prayerful and alert. Always be prayerful and alert. And ultimately, there is an evil spiritual enemy wanting and scheming to hinder the extension of God's kingdom on the earth. And because of that reality, we need to remain prayerful and alert. Whenever we live in unity as the church, that's not good for the enemy. And the enemy wants to dismantle that unity. Satan doesn't want us going about sharing the good news and demonstrating God's love to those around us. So we need to be switched on and alert prayerfully so that we can recognise when the enemy is trying to stifle the advancement of God's kingdom in us, but also through us. Now, as we wrap up this short series, I just want to remind us um, that the call to put on this divine dress code that we've looked at over the past few weeks, the call to clothe ourselves with things like love and compassion and forgiveness and generosity, humility... If we actually just take that in and think about that, clothing ourselves with these kinds of things. And as the church, therefore, being known for this way of life, as we represent God to the world around us, the enemy is going to throw a heap our way to stop us in this endeavour. This is why Paul simply concludes with this strong warning, because he knew that a church living this out wasn't going to find it easy. It would require deep faith and strong commitment to prioritise the kingdom of God above all else. Now, I just want to camp on that word for a moment. Prioritise. Because I think, you know, as I reflect on my own life, and uh, I I know I'm a reflective person, uh, so I'm sorry if I'm just 
projecting this onto you for a moment. But if I reflect on my own journey, so often it's a battle of priorities in my life. What is it that is most important? What is it that I give my time, my energy, my money, my attention to? Because what I give my attention to and all these you know, things that I show that I value, that, that gets me and it distracts me potentially from the more important things in life. You know, we know if we've been around for any time at all how important it is to get our priorities in order so that we don't miss things that are actually, you know, most important. And what Paul wants us to do is to prioritise above all else the kingdom of God. The fact that we are a part of it, the fact that God wants us to be uh, involved with and extending his kingdom. But if we're honest, so often we get distracted, don't we? We lose sight of the priority of this. And I think this is where the spiritual enemy continues to be most effective. And it's uh, in regards to often division within God's church. You know, the thing Jesus prayed for so earnestly just before he went to the cross was that we would be one. You know, prayed for us, prayed for uh, all those who would believe in him, that they would be one. Jesus knew it would be tough. Jesus knew that there'd be potential for division. And I think it's perfect to look at a passage like this today um, in this very moment, you know, when we're coming through uh, an election and, and there is opportunity for division to rise up. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Greek word opinion. Uh, has anybody heard of that? I, I hope not because it's fake. Uh, it's, <laughs> DJ's going, ooh, no. <laughs> um, I was thinking the other day, I'd just like to make up a new word. So I've just given it to you, opinion. Uh, and in my take, opinion is the opposition that comes from opposing opinions. Did you like that? Opinion. Now, no, no, don't do that. That's terrible. Um, I want you to realise, and, and, and when I say realise, it's cutting ourselves a little bit of slack again because we're living in a time where personal opinion has been elevated through the roof like never before. The value of your individual personal opinion, um, <laughs> that's my opinion, that's good, mate. It has greater traction and greater weight than ever before. You know, the, the rise of the internet and especially social media and, um, you know, how many times have you seen this? Have your say. Have your say. Share your opinion because your opinion makes all the difference. Your opinion matters and, and we've elevated our opinion to a degree now that so often our opinions uh, actually cause great division. We actually need to learn to get along as a church, to not even get along, to, to be known for our love for each other, despite differing opinions and differing expressions and different voting, uh, because that's meant to be our representation of God to the world. We're meant to be known by the love we have for each other. So I'm asking you this morning, can we try and make that a priority? Can we commit to that being a priority within our church, uh, that we're going to hold unity um, really central to what it is that we do, how it is that we interact with, with each other, how it is we even overlook faults and differing opinions. Get rid of that idea of op opinion, um, but instead make unity the priority. So division within the church is going to be a key way that the enemy tries to dismantle things. But also, 
as I was alluding to before, distraction from the main calls. Uh, and this is to do with our priorities. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor and an author in the States, and he, he um, has written a couple of books, and uh, one of them is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he was really saying that a life of hurry, a life of you know, extreme busyness and, and hurry, it's incompatible with life in God's kingdom. Incompatible with life in God's kingdom. Uh, so we need to make sure that we're not getting so sidetracked to the point that we are uh, losing sight of our priorities. Uh, next, next weekend, if I can uh, invite the musos to come back up now as we close with a song. Uh, we have an opportunity, again, to put priorities in place when we celebrate Glocal. Uh, and it's one of those things for me that uh, I've always been so thankful that that's such a in- crucial priority for us as a church. And if you're visiting Glocal, again, it's just our um, missions and justice program as a church prioritising what we want to be about, making sure that um, our money, our time, our energy, our prayers are going towards extending the kingdom of God on the earth, particularly to those who need it most. So what about you? What strategies might the enemy be using to distract you from prioritising God's kingdom the way that you would like to? What is it that is getting your attention? How is it that we can take our stand? Well, we're going to finish by doing that, by standing together and singing a song called The Stand, actually. Uh, and I'm, as we come to do this, I'm just going to pray for us that we can be the kind of church that is aware of the enemy, but not overemphasizing the enemy, um, but, a, but by God's Spirit that he would enable us to take a stand, that we would continue with our divine dress code on. So would you, yeah, if you would, please stand with me. I'm going to pray and then we'll do this final song. Lord, thank you again for uh, your word. Thank you for uh, the way that it teaches and instructs and inspires and and equips and uh, reveals maybe things within us that we need to get right. Uh, And Lord, this morning, we just want to take that moment to consider our priorities to consider whether uh, we are being distracted putting more weight on things in our lives that really don't matter that shouldn't get so much attention and Lord we want to realign ourselves with you uh, and the call to living life in your kingdom to being part of your church Help us to keep our eyes on you. Uh, Help us to to armour up, uh, to take a stand against the attempts of the enemy to dismantle and disrupt and and divide and destroy uh, the good things that you are wanting to do in us and through us individually and as a church. So we commit ourselves to you, to your calling, to your cause, to your church. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.